Well, folks, I am back, and this is another episode of Radical Humanity, and my name is Ben Hoover, and welcome to my my vocal arena where I uh, process my life, my thoughts out loud, record it, and then share it to people, whether they listen to it or not. Um, <laughs> I'm putting it out there in the world. Um, so, where do I start? I'm I'm, I'm pausing because where do I where do I want to go? Um, I know ultimately where I want to go in this episode, but I was I was do I give a little background? Yeah. So here's the thing. So um, as I've been saying, and you're probably gonna hear a lot of this on repeat um, from my prior. Uh, the the prior episodes. Now, what I'm doing is uh, this is a, a a series within my podcast series, and uh, and this series covers uh, there there's eight of them, at least eight. I don't know if I'm going to do another one after that, but there's going to be eight of these episodes, and these episodes focus on this um, this highly highly religious statement that Jesus makes. No, I'm just kidding. It's this, this, uh, this, um, before Jesus gives this sort of, I call it this inaugural state of the union, here's how you want to live in the world address. Um, he begins this talk with something so profound. In fact, it's so profound to me that, um, that when my professor talked about this, uh, what's called the Beatitudes. They call it the Beatitudes. It's the statement of blessings, basically. Um, when he talked about this five over five years ago, and he said that it was this, uh, this kind of movement or this journey in a way. Um, I don't know if he used journey, but that's, that's how I interpreted it. Where it's this movement of, of emptying ourselves and then becoming hungry and then filling ourselves up with something different in the world. And, um, and that just stayed with me ever since. And so I always thought once I really got into writing in the last, you know, three or four years, I thought, man, I really want to explore this. And then finally, in, uh, when I retreated to a cabin last March, um, and, uh, and, and experienced many events that were really special. One of them was I was, I started to write and I started to write for myself instead of, I got to write to convince other people to see it my way. It began, it changed to, no, I want to explore this for me and then I'll share it. And whatever happens, happens. Um, but I, I kept these writings to myself for, well, not quite a year, but about 10 months. And I didn't return to them. I didn't look at them. Once I wrote them, I just backed off. And then in the last month or so, it started to uh, surface kind of started to knock at the door in myself, um, to, to begin exploring this again. And so what I've done, and I'm doing this, I don't know if I'll complete this, but, um, over the course of this weekend that I'm in, I don't know what period of time you're going to listen to this, but over the stretch of a weekend, starting about Friday ish, and now it's Sunday, I've been, uh, going over these writings, adding even just uh, some of them I haven't even looked at. I just started writing a whole different piece from it, which I've found so enjoyable. So I've I've rewritten 
um, or I've added or augmented things or taken things out or clarified some stuff on these writings, and then I've been doing a podcast episode um, in uh, that accompanies these writings. And, um, and so what I've done is I've taken each little piece of these blessing statements that Jesus talks about, and I've, I've, I've uh, done a sort of a personal expository of them. I've, I've excavated through my own meaning, but I've used the, some of the Greek wording um, to, uh, to extrapolate. But, uh, and, and so, so this is a blend of my own personal experience, some of my um, psychological th- uh, theoretical framework, uh, some, um, one philosopher, theologian that I really like, Peter Rollins, uh, and and my own my own therapy experience. Uh, it's just a combination of things that I'm using, incorporating, or, or is kind of a, a sort of a background, a blueprint to help me develop this understanding. So now, um, so with every episode, I've been giving, I've been going back and giving a background, and I'll, I'll I, I inform, I'm informing the 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 listeners here to listen to the prior episodes. So you want to go back to the start. Um, and, I mean, you can kind of enter into the scene here because I do some clarification. I do some summarizing from the previous uh, blessing statements, the stages there. But um, you won't get the full picture when what I'm trying to communicate through this. Uh, it'll You might even take it out of context. So um, it would behoove you to listen to this in... Uh, in a, a sequential fashion, um, in, in order anyway. So, uh, it's kind of like, you know, if you were to watch a, a series and it's like a, God, what was that one series? Um, I, I liked, well, one, a true detective on HBO, the, the first season and the third season were pretty good. The first season was pretty incredible and you don't want to just enter in the episode, like, you know, number six, number seven, in the in the series because you're gonna get all you're gonna get thrown off course you're not gonna know what to talk what the hell is going on so that's what I'm talking about here is um, I caution you to enter into the scene in the in the middle of the of the uh, of the movie of the show um, go back to the beginning and listen to this so but um, but let me let me paraphrase here so first off Jesus is these blessing statements um, the way that I've read them. The way that I see them is that it's it's a progressive movement of finding our true selves. It's a conversion uh, experience, a conversion experience, if you will, and it's very messy and tumultuous, and uh, and um, and it's a it's a it's a rocky journey, but a wonderful one at that. And it's beautiful and it's painful. It's ugly and it's and it's uh, uh, well gorgeous. <laughs> trying to think of a different word than beauty. Um, and so, so these, these blessings, so this conversion is, it's away from the objects we've attached to that we've think we've believed would give us meaning, certainty would cover over this loneliness, anxiety, and whatnot in our life. And that includes religion. And that includes God in object form that, that God is this distant being somewhere that we have to please. Um, but as we go through these experiences, um, it starts to change. We start to convert. We start to, uh, this metamorphosis takes place in us. We start to um, uh, unshackle ourselves from this, and it can be very scary and disorienting and, um, and frustrating and depressing and yet exciting and vibrant and, uh, and ple- pleasurable and whatnot. 
So, um, uh, again, if that sounds odd to you, go back and listen to this. Um, so I know I sound, uh, controversial here, but well, maybe that's the point or that's not the point, but maybe controversy, the stirring, the, um, the disorientation is needed to experience something more deeper on a deeper, more deeper, on a deeper, truthful, honest, grounded, genuine level. So this conversion is about leaving, un, it's, uh, this is an actual word, but unfusing, unshackling, unlatching from the external world and going into an internal one, finding ourselves that then we share with the world around us. So, um, so the first one was uh, briefly just talked about this uh, poor, those who are poor in spirit, that theirs is the kingdom. Um, so uh, what that means or what I've uh, um, the way that I've phrased this is that poor in spirit is this inner impoverishment where we realize we possess nothing. Here we thought we could possess, hold on to relationships, titles, jobs, God, things like this, and 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 created these rituals and these strategies and um, and orbited our lives around these objects to to cure this something inside of ourselves that felt this lack, this this something missing, and this lack that I, I coined it is this lack that starts early in childhood where we begin to separate from our parents and our parents end up not doing the greatest job or sometimes they do a horrible job um, and, and neglect this or they abuse us or they shame us or they judge us and it creates this wounding um, in ourselves that then creates this dependency on them to uh, stand on our own two legs, to feel okay, to feel at peace with ourselves, then it, it, what it does is it enables and um, cultivates and sustains this, uh, this dependency to feel okay inside. And so what happens is we grow up and then we feel this, we continue to feel this lack, this void in ourselves that we feel like we, it has to be filled. But the, the true antidote is actually to embrace the lack this missingness, this loneliness that lives in ourselves. And again, it's a loneliness that was created by our parents, our upbringings. Um, and uh, that that really, uh, what it did is it created a disconnection in ourselves. So the disconnected experiences externally created, uh, we absorbed the disconnection inside of ourselves, and then we've lived uh, basically a, as a foreigner, a mystery to our own selves. Um, so from that, uh, the, the objects that we've imbued with this uh, glorified, sacred meaning that would cure everything, particularly the loneliness in ourselves, um, that, uh, uh, that, it would, um, that it loses its luster, its radiance. It becomes impotent, benign. And then that moves into this experience of mourning where he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. And this mourning is this grieving of what we attach to, what we believed, what we idealized and fantasized and believed would, uh, would cure us, would cure this loneliness. And instead, we move in this place that we've, we have always felt this loneliness created by our families growing up in the world. And this mourning, in a way, is this purging process of unshackling from... Uh, um, from the this oppressive uh, search to feel whole inside of ourselves through object form, and uh, and then from there, and so in this odd, this very powerful, excruciating experience of loss, of sadness, of death, uh, death, and who we thought we were, and who we thought 
how we thought life was supposed to be, how we thought, um, you know, what we thought love was, so on and so forth. There's uh, this dissolves, and we experience this uh, this death, and then out of that, a comfort arises in us, and I coin this as a strengthening, internal strengthening, and then from there. Uh, this Jesus then says, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." And the meek, I I I coin this that I, I see this synonymous with this. There's this earthiness. There's this return to form, uh, vulnerability. This 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 real way of being in the world. Our our tr- our I wouldn't sort of our true self, um, not our full self, but it's this uh, but it's this nakedness. The way we were as kids, in a way, there's this softening, this tenderizing uh, that happens within us. Uh, it's 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 again, it's like when the the waters wash over the rough edges of stone. That there's this this softening that begins to happen in us, and in that we begin to sort of begin to wake up to life. Um, and uh, and and but it's but we there's an openness, a malleability, uh, a flexibility. That uh, overcome that overtakes us, um, and embodies us, and then from there, what arises? And Jesus talks about that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and this hunger is so guttural; it's intrinsic, and it's a hunger that actually has been there in us. It's the one that's been steering the ship, um, trying to uh, not feel lonely or not feel this void inside of ourselves that we thought, you know, would would be we could uh, achieve that in our consumption uh, of the object, of the, the deified object. And, um, and so, uh, where am I? Oh, so this hunger, there's a, there's a rage, there's a fury, there's an anger to feel whole, to feel satisfied in oneself. And when he talks about righteousness, he's talking about, um, uh, I love this phrasing, but he's, he's talking about the way one ought to be and that means inside themselves, to feel aligned, to feel harmonized within themselves. And so this hunger and thirst is this fuel, the very fuel that we judged. But now it's this fuel that, that compels us to go and seek in the external world. And it's this interaction in the external world between us and the outer realms to understand ourselves of what's inside, um, who we are. And it's, the, and it's a development. It's a developing experience. Um, of finding our own personal passions and expressions and whatnot, um, and so, so this, uh, so yes, now becomes this hunt, this search, the seeking for something more, um, and it's different. It's it's different than. Um, I thought I heard something. <laughs> it's different than uh, uh, this insatiable quest to to stuff ourselves and gorge ourselves with with something. It, 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 what I mean by that is it, this dependency on others to feel whole. No, instead it's an interaction with life. It's a going and seeking. It's seeing what that's like. It's encountering disappointments and frustrations and heartache and whatnot only to learn, ah, a, a developing sense and understanding of, of what we want. Um, and so, so then... Uh, by the way, I love going over this. I feel like I, I fine-tune things more. There's more of a refinement that happens. Um, so uh, where am I? Okay, mercy. Now, Jesus 
Jesus brings into the mix, he introduces now into this list, which is not just not really a list. Um, it's it's the next it's the ex- next experience in a way. And again, it's not an organized thing. It's all kind of messy, by the way. But um, but I'm presenting it almost kind of in an organized fashion. But this mercy begins to develop. Um, and he talks about, so he, this is his phrasing, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, mercy, I gotta be honest, I'm, I don't really buy into that word, I'm not much of a fan of it, I don't like it. Partly, um, when I think of mercy, I think of that, that like, you know, uh, that ridiculous childhood game where one person would, would take their hands and they would put it on the arm of another person and they would twist the skin. So they would take their hands and they would move each hand in opposite directions. One would pull back and one would go forward. And almost, you know, uh, kind of like you were revving a motorcycle in a way or something. And you were twisting. And, um, and, uh, uh, and it creates this weird, painful, stinging sensation on the arms of the other person. And, and then in order for the, the, the torturer, I like saying the torturer, to back off, the person like, gives out a big, loud yelp of mercy and cries mercy, right? You know, someone says, well, not until you say mercy. And then, and of course, the person will hold back and fight saying that because they don't want to give the person the satisfaction that they're in pain. And then eventually <laughs> they hit their threshold and, and this mercy just fires out of them. And then the, uh, the, the little, the little uh, young sadist walk, you know, backs off, you know, kind of pleasantly, pleasantly satisfied that they've created pain. Um, but then there's also this other uh, angle to mercy, this other uh, uh, connotation to it, this, this interpretation of it that I, I, I don't like at all. It causes me to tighten. And it's this word that's... Um, mercy is thrown around a lot in religious settings. And it's often fused with sin or with judgment and how we keep failing and how God is undeservedly forgiving. And it's this interpretation, I feel, that like ominously haunts us, haunts me, and it keeps us locked in this guilt and repentance matrix, this, you know, this imprisonment firing back and forth of guilt and I'm sorry and guilt I'm sorry and thank you for forgiving me and whatnot. Now I've heard it countless times in the past and I've heard it and it, and it, I cringe, I could probably cringe even saying it now, I don't know, but where I've encountered someone just almost in a hallmarky sense, like just dramatically gushing with gratefulness looking up into the heavens and accentuating how appreciative they are of God's magnanimity, his forgiveness, his mercy when it comes to their own personal wretchedness. And in me, I'm like, what? That's just, I don't like that at all. I feel this discomfort, this irritation, like something in that just feels off. And this person possibly, I mean, really, truly buys into that. But it's never, and I got to be honest, I think for a while I bought into that. Um, you know, I, I even called myself one time, like, what did I call myself? Like, like, oh, because I had looked at porn, like I called myself perverted. And I said that in front of this group that, you know, would have thought like, oh yeah, you are perverted kind of thing. And I, and I remember just, I look back at them now and I'm like, I wish I never even said that about myself. Like, I'm not perverted. You know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, there's a part of me that's, I'm trying to connect to myself here and enjoying looking at pornography. But, but it was, it was so heavily 
um, barbed with this judgment. And it was so, and I absorbed those messages from the communities I grew up in. And so there's something about this statement when someone makes this, 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 this kind of vocalized sentiment that I just, I just seize with irritation and discomfort. It just never resonated with me. Or if it, it resonated in a, in a uh, cacophonous sort of way. It, it felt there was this, this, this dissonance in myself that something's off about this. But I'm going to present here that mercy is way more robust. It's way more vibrant. I want to take this sort of kind of paint thinner and strip this whole forgiveness layer off of mercy and unearth it and discover it in its raw state and for what it is. Because what if mercy, these are the questions I'm asking myself, what if mercy is way more impactful, visceral, bold, connective? What if we... You know, what if we just rip, I want to rip mercy out of the heavens, out of the celestial planes, and instead inject it with a bit of humanity, infuse it with humanity, because what does that look like on a human level? So Jesus moves on to this, this next part in his Beatitude speech, and he adds this phrasing, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, which now thickens the plot. Because here Jesus accentuates that one has become merciful. They've embodied this this sense of mercy. And so here the the traveler, and this is where I'm going to repeat some stuff here, that the traveler, in a quest of finding their genuine selves and having gone through this arduous untangling from a dependency on this once glorified object, and that means people, by the way, to bring a sense of wholeness and security. It's now, the now person is overcome and embodied with this merciful state. But what does that even mean? So I want to go back to the previous statement he makes. Remember this hunger and thirst, right? This hunger and thirst that drives someone to feel at home in themselves, an internal satisfaction and harmonization. Well, this hunger is burned internally in us since a young age. It's, It's a primal energy. I love that phrasing. It's, a, it's primal in us, this, this energetic movement. And it's, if, at first, we're propelled right, to unwaveringly chase after some magical object, that it would be the remedy of this lack. And remember that this lack is this missing experience of not feeling connected to oneself. We don't feel at peace, at one with ourself on an internal level or on a holistic level. In other words, we don't, we don't feel... At one, we don't know who we are. We're not living out of our own quote-unquote groove in personal passion and expression in life. Right? We're so uh, consumed, haunted, tortured that other people feel are, are expressing their passions and satisfied. We're angry. We're consumed by anger that they seem to be enjoying their life. And in, internally, we, we're... We're just so embittered, filled with resentment, even wanting, uh, uh, almost uh, ravaged by this urge to destroy them so we can feel okay. And this is all coming out of this place of, I don't know who I am. They're haunted by loneliness, which is this loneliness which is created out of these disconnected experiences from their sources of love. All right, the, the sources that were... Um, that are there in place that have this incredible sacred role to help us find us. They're the conscious 
They're, they're the sources of consciousness. They help us know ourselves as we differentiate from them. But when that doesn't happen, it throws everything off the rails. And so now, but now, having gone on this path, having experienced this object, I put it in air quotes, you can't see the air quotes, but this object is meaningless. It's impotent. It's benign. And then grieving the loss of the self-created fantasy and illusion, including our own veneer that we've created, instinctually created, you know, in our identity to feel safe, to feel connected, to feel loved. That the now when that's gone and we've grieved all that, that there's return back to this tenderness, open. We're open, malleable, vulnerable. And having now reconnected to this nature that's intrinsic to us, this hunger resurges. It's this high octane propellant, and it primes us to engage in an exploration now in life of our true selves in this existence. And what's so different now is that this hunger really has been freed from this belief and this, this combination of this belief and unconscious impulse. Not the impulse itself, but this sort of this unconsciousness and this belief that we've imbued in this impulse, right? That we, we have to find this surrogate object to possess and consume in order to quiet, to satiate the ravenous and unsettled growl in ourselves, to reconcile a loneliness and disconnect that lives at the very heart. And so this hunger now is, is engaged differently. It's engaged with an active consciousness. We follow our impulses as a compass and as a guide, venturing into the unknown and discovering the message of these, these inner signals. And so in the objective of finding ourselves in our personal passions and desires, we got to interact with the external world, what's out there. But it's different than consuming it. We're interacting with it. We're engaging with it. We're not trying to siphon uh, nutrients from it so we can, we can feel okay with ourselves. Right? So we're engaging now with the external world while connected to our inner self as the conductor. And so it's this... It's this, it'll be this lifelong rhythm of this reciprocating interaction of the other and myself, the other and myself. Now, on this journey, let's just say that it, things are going to get really messy, right? The, the big contributor is that we're evolving. And if you know from the books you've read, evolution takes some time. We, we move slowly in our growth. And this slow movement includes working out our past, the entrenched distortions and patterns within us, right? the way that we've interacted impulsively, reflexively interacted with people in life, and addressing the wounds that we've carried from our loved ones that have infused and entangled in our identities and our sense of self. And also, this, um, the reality is that this light of consciousness, it's, it, it doesn't just switch on to this high voltage immediately, right? It doesn't just illuminate everything in the room, in ourselves. It starts dim and incrementally increases. Its radius glows even more as we engage with life. So it's this, it's, it's, it's not this one-time thing where, oh, now I see it all. No, there's this movement. That's it's this interaction where, as I've talked about before, the faith is uh, it's not a belief system. 
It's this active engagement with the unknown. It's this something in us turns on and we've got to go seek. We want to go seek, I, I should say. It's not a have to. It's I want to. I want to go see what this out. I want to go see what this is about. I want to go see, like, what is going on in me? Why do I want to go talk to this person? Why do I want to go experience this? Whatever. And then when we go, this waking up happens. So that's, that's how it works. So in other words, we're, we're a mystery to ourselves. We don't see everything at once. Insight and awareness is evolutionary. It's a dynamic activity that grows and expands. We're going to struggle, really, and stumble in the dark. Now, that includes at times we're going to rage at people that are unrelated to our deep pains. We're going to project our inner conflicts onto them that aren't the sources of our issues. There's going to be moments where we avoid being honest. We might manipulate. I've fallen prey to that. I did that with an ex-girlfriend. Uh, the one I broke up, we broke up recently, like, I was manipulative, and she was really reactive to that, understandably, and it she called me out, um, or we'll, we're going to become reactive towards other people, they're going to get under our skin, and then we'll end up blowing up at them, reacting at them, um, we'll, we'll, um, and so, uh, and at times, now, sometimes that reactivity is um, um, really in, indicative of them, that they're trying to start something in us, whether they're aware of it or not, and that's why we get reactive. But either way, we're going to get reactive. We're going to blow up. We're going to not know what the hell's going on in us. We're just, it just becomes this explosion of emotion. Um, and so at times, we're going to give in also to the impulse to find solutions to feeling lost. You know, maybe this will cure it. Maybe this will solve Maybe if I read more. I mean, I get that with clients at times. So they'll say, okay, well, what kind of homework should I do? What can I, and you know, and I don't, I said, that's not how this works. I got nothing. You know, you can, you can stuff yourself, you know, you can stuff your schedules with groups and, um, you know, self-help groups and seminars and whatnot. But honestly, I'm going to be honest, not that there isn't some good stuff that comes out of that, but it's, 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 it's a farce. It's an illusion. It's a fantasy that it will cure something inside of ourselves. It's not how it works. It's not what the path is. Um, and then sometimes, uh, um, you know, and I am super guilty of this, is we'll evangelize to everyone in our life to ascribe to our newfound insights. Oh man, see it this way, see it that way, you got to see this, and we'll become angry, indignant, and then even depressed because people don't buy in. And I'm speaking very personally because that's why I walked away from my writings and my podcast episodes because I kept writing with this, uh, uh, this, uh, objective to get other people to see it my way. So that's going to be a part of this journey. And so inevitably, when we engage in self-discovery, there's going to be great turbulence, confronting the impediments of shame, of judgment, of toxic relational experiences that have riddled us for years. And what's also going to come out of this is frustration, disappointment, depression, wanting to give up, it's, it, this is going to be an active part, a common part that arises in the course of our odyssey. Now, here's the thing, too, that I also started to discover as I wrote out, as I was writing this out. Or not, I wouldn't say I, I discovered during this writing, but I was able to piece it together with some greater insights. Is that most of us in life have lived under the oppressors of shame and judgment. And this is, these oppressors have been absorbed from the systems that raised us. Parents extended families, communities, religious, political, so on and so forth. That judgment has often been inculcated in the messages delivered to us. 
or maybe what we whether it's directly to us or whether we've we've seen them delivered uh, uh, indirectly to other people. We've observed it, but it's been this generational toxin traveling throughout time and across humanity's existence. So because of this, then, because having absorbed this, we've now lived consumed, ambushed, plagued by judgment, which consequently then is going gonna, gonna to start shaping the way we see the world. It's going to influence the way we interact, engage, the way our perspective, our understanding of life. And that includes even this divine presence, this, this presence that we feel that there's something bigger than us, there's something more at work. There's something moving in the world. That's what I mean by the divine, what we call God. Um, I would say is more of this divine presence, this energy, this unseen force, which still kind of puts an object form. I don't even, I don't even like saying any of that stuff, but it's all I can say is that there's something bigger than us at work, moving us, evolving us in a way. And so, but anyway, when we're, when we've absorbed these uh, messages from our external upbringings, our, our surroundings, we're then going to start projecting that out in the world, that there's, there's got to be this, these angry gods, judgmental, dissatisfied. I mean, this is, this is, you look back in history and this is, this, this is, this is true. This is what happened. I'm not making this up that, that we would, you know, the, um, we created the gods that uh, this, this sort of self-created idea that, the, that something beyond us were these gods that were angry, judgmental, dissatisfied, that we therefore have to please and live a life aiming to please. But the reality is that it's always been the authorities in and surrounding our lives that have modeled this, that have carried these messages. And then out of these experiences, we then internalize them, we soak them up, and they stay with us, and it becomes the frequency and the voice that permeates all of life. You can even look in the, um, in the Gospels within the ancient scriptures where Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. And there's this interaction when the Pharisees, you know, were this, this political or this religious group, community, that, um, that lived out of the law and trying to please the divine, meanwhile ignoring or overlooking or trying to find uh, of their own internal self that they would then try to find loopholes around the law to feel okay so they could please the divine. This is what I'm talking about. This is so rooted in our society. We don't realize that. Um, and so, um, but the reality is that, that this needing to please has been this fused, this fusion with those in our life, with the external world, this dependency, and that permeates all of life. And so, therefore, we approach existence, the universe, the divine, ourselves, and others with these uh, deeply rooted experiences and messages of judgment that are going to color our perspective and our understanding. But while on this path, though, this path of change, something begins to shift and awaken in us. And it's this natural shifting that happens. That as we interact with life and others, anonymous, anonymous, anomalous, to the systems that have raised us, that don't judge us, that people start, we start engaging with people, whether it's a therapist or whoever, whatever leader or whatnot, or, or authority in your life, or someone, someone who's gone down the path, that they begin to, um, you know, they've done their own inner work in a way, that they... Um, that they begin, we begin to encounter people that respond to us with, with, without judgment to help us understand ourselves. And so, so when this interaction happens, when we start to interact 
with ourselves, with life differently. As we grow and there's less judgment, that something new and developing surfaces in us. A different kind of understanding takes over. When this judgment begins to fade all the more, and then this needing constant forgiveness and penance and promises to do better goes away, it's replaced with an inner knowing that love is the force at work, holding life together, energizing us to evolve, inviting us to live freely and vibrantly within our own skin. So the merciful then, they become imbued with mercy because they rest in this intrinsic knowing that they're loved. This inner security begins to form. It's no longer looking out there in the world to feel secure. An inner security begins to take place in this, in this tumultuous struggle of interacting with the outer world and our inner self. And it places an existential anxiety and terror that's long haunted us. It's a kind of anxiety that's frightened us by the unknown, that's been frightened by uncertainty, by the unknown. And it's consumed with an unsustainable drive to invest in future security, right? It won't ever work. And so rather the individual, while on this, uh, this transformative path, starts to find their footing on a foundation that is held together by a caring and compassionate love. This stumbling-like interaction that comes with learning and growing into our full selves is sustained by a love that welcomes, invites, and joins us. It feels otherworldly. It feels divine. But there's this sense, this force, that something is traveling with us. And then, so then when Jesus talks about mercy, here's what I think he's talking about. He's talking about compassion. And compassion, when felt, is this deeply moving, visceral reaction to feeling the inner worlds of ourself and the inner worlds of others. This mercy is a connected experience with ourselves and those around. It's not passive. It doesn't overlook or excuse actions. Rather, mercy is intimate, attuned, interactive, and presently engaged. And a merciful inner posture that develops in us, it's one that is genuine, truthful, humorous. Yes, humorous and deeply caring. This mercy is imbued with all of this. And I love this discovery is that mercy also experiences life as comedy and not just tragedy, not just the pains, but the joys, the, the humor, the funny. And so for this to be expressively shared, it's, it's first got to be internalized and absorbed. So it requires a personal reception and ingestion that can only take root when judgment loses its power and its force over us. And we stop beating ourselves up. We stop judging. We stop criticizing that something's right or wrong or good or bad about ourselves. But we can embrace ourselves for what is happening presently. What was the truth behind our actions and our reactions? That this constant engagement changes something in us that then we can also give to others, express to others, respond to others with. And so, but we, but we usually need this healing compassion first, externally shared to us 
for it to stay. There's got to be another voice, a compassionate one that enters in, that, that becomes an antibody to judgment's oppressive vocal presence in our life. Remember this vocal presence that, um, that has to do with, uh, that, that comes from our external sources, the people that told us this, that sent these messages. And so when it, mercy embodies us, then we approach our own selves foreign to the responses we received at a young age. That instead of judgment, billowing, laughter billows out of us. Right? And we f- finding humor even in our own clumsy, stumbling experiences, movements to find ourselves. That's what's been sometimes so healing. Like, like the, the, um, you know, my sister... And then some of the women I've dated, it was one, was one uh, ex-girlfriend. And no, and actually my past ex-girlfriend too. Like, they're sometimes what was so attractive about them and what I also love about my sister um, is, is that they can laugh, they would laugh at themselves. Sometimes I would call them out on something and they could laugh. And it was so beautiful intoxicating, alluring, that, you know, I remember calling my sister out on some, on something, and I said, like, why are you being an asshole to me? And she just laughed. But it was this, it wasn't a defensive laughter. It was a, it was a truthful laughter. It was, you're right. I do do this. It was so, it was, and it's so freeing. It loosens things up. Because I remember for so long, I've been said, I've been called, Ben, you're so serious. And like one of the one of the characters uh, uh, that I've so closely associated with in my life or have been called was Eeyore because I'd lived in this heaviness. But someone that experiences that touches the realms of mercy can laugh at themselves, can invite others to laugh at at themselves, right? And so this merciful disposition that becomes us it engenders a widening and compassionate understanding for others as well, overwhelmed by their own struggles, deep pains, reactions, defenses, and tumultuous storms on the roads of their inner journey. It's not a mercy, again, it's not, it's not a mercy that's been preached from the pulpit, infected with sin, judgment, repentance. Rather, it's a mercy that's so vibrant and funny, instinctual, authentic, grounded, earthy, connected, I've been using that earthy word a lot. I like I like that. Um, it, it, this this mercy, it's one that heals and it builds. It repairs. It constructs. It energizes an evolving inner connection that then one naturally radiates to the world. That when one goes inside themselves, right, without judgment, free from judgment, again, they approach themselves so differently. So when we unhook ourselves from the tyranny of judgment and then the and also the oppressive search to fill whole through some object the self begins to fully breathe inhaling and exhaling the vibrancy of existence and not only do we or they awaken to ourselves but we awaken to those around all of a sudden we have these moments of oh there's a lot more going on in the world <laughs> Right? So before we were so consumed with this insatiable consumptive drive to heal the wounds of loneliness inside of ourselves, connecting with others, 
often in a manipulative way, sometimes unbeknownst to ourselves, but often to extract relational nutrients that we didn't have growing up to feel whole, to not feel alone, which uh, inevitably blurred our vision to the rich abundance going on around us. It blurred us to the world, the bounty, the cornucopia, the feast that goes on around us because we've been so consumed with finding that object we believed would bring wholeness and satisfaction. That's what the story of Adam and Eve is about, by the way, is that this this vision for everything around them, for all of life blurred because they were consumed by this object. Something in them felt restricted. Something in them felt this lack that I have to have something. There's something missing. And that's what we're talking about, is that now this person opens up to life all around, to enjoy and devour life, and not in a way that I could feel, you know, okay with myself, to not feel lonely inside. That's a better way to put it. But instead, we interact with people so differently, we no longer need them to feel grounded or centered. Rather, we begin to connect with them in a more differentiated way. One, what I mean by that is we're now a separate person. One, that then in the separation, we can embrace them for who they are and where they are in life. We don't need them to be where we're at so we can feel connected, we can feel okay on an internal level. Right? So um, uh, we, can, we can embrace them for where they are, walk with them, join them as well, offer mercy, free of any dependency on them to com- quote-unquote complete us. So this capacity within us extends to cry, to rage, to fear, and to laugh. Well, I also, I also need to put in there, also to experience pleasure, right? On a, on a grander, fuller, greater level, scale, capacity. That we can engage with others in this way unrestrictedly in our embrace of life ourselves and others. This is what I believe, the mercy that Jesus, this is what I believe it is that Jesus talks about. Not the mercy we hear in the religious settings on stage. It's a beautiful, vibrant, life-changing, life-altering, dynamic experience, energy, position. That's what I think mercy is. So, on that note, I shall end it now, and I will continue the journey in the next episode. Take care.